0: The OTB Brief. Everything you need to know about sport every morning. Need to get on top of the day sports news? Well, the OTB Brief is the only sports update you'll need every morning. With all the breaking stories, post-match reaction... They had one more day to rest. We we were really in trouble. Really in trouble to build the team.
1: And the best bits from off the ball, all in a 10-minute podcast. Oh, sweat, sweaty palms. Of course, you guys know what it's like, but that was nerve
0: that was nerve yeah the otb brief online every morning from 7am on offtheball.com the Goal Out app and everywhere you get your podcasts the otb podcast network otb gold the very best of off the ball you're welcome along
1: to otb gold this is the very best of off the ball since our early beginnings in 2002 and we're going to bring you now a brilliant interview with a really extraordinary person Declan Murphy was a champion jockey at the peak of his career when a catastrophic brain injury turned his life upside down. His story was documented in the 2017 Sports Book of the Year Centaur and he joined us in the studio to talk about getting his life back after the fall.
0: OTB Gold. An amazing new book called Centaur was published this week detailing the catastrophic brain injury suffered by Declan Murphy at Haydock when he was knocked unconscious by his own horse before having a skull fractured by another. The life-saving surgery which followed lasted through the night and finished around 7am this morning 23 years ago. Declan, how are you doing?
1: Extraordinary. i had never thought of that. It was this morning, yeah. 23 years ago, that uh, I had come out of surgery and, and uh, how fortunate I am to be sitting here talking to you.
0: It's amazing that you're here. <laughs> like, it's absolutely amazing. So I've been reading the book solidly for the last 24 hours and, uh, and the fact that you're flesh and blood right here sitting, talking to us, I just can't, I really can't get my head around it.
1: So I don't know what it's like for you. Well, fortunately, I have no recollection of what happened to me and and that part of my life had to be reconstructed, which has been brilliantly reconstructed uh, with my co-author in this book. Um, But it's a a process that, that has been quite remarkable. And difficult and dark at times, I suspect. It's the hardest thing I have ever done in my life writing the book was writing this book. Well, can I just stop you there
0: because that, that's remarkable? Because the, the recovery is one of the most difficult things I've ever read anybody go through.
1: Yes, but when I was going through the going through my recovery, when I was in the in the throes of going through it, I saw nothing as impossible. When you have uh, the benefit of hindsight in reflection, when you go through. The process of, of of writing a book like this, my co-author Ami, she took me into some very dark places, places that I had pretended never happened because I I had um, a part of my life that I don't remember and 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 I convinced myself that that part of my life never happened.
0: The 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 part of recovery had never happened. Yes, absolutely. Because and yet you're 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 conscious and awake
1: for all this, so you're living through it. Yes, it's. Uh, it's an extraordinary thing when you when you wake up, when you come out of a coma and you are a child again, you're 12 years old and, and you're laying on a bed and the people that are looking at you are looking at a 20-year-old professional sports person that was at the height of his profession. Uh, in that moment, you have this utter state of confusion you don't know what you're living through is a nightmare or the dream was the coma that you were in it, it's uh, it's, a, it's a crazy place to be
0: Yeah and and that's the bit that you didn't want to revisit it's that in the next, the next 12 months when every day is a struggle when your brain isn't functioning right
1: Well it's extraordinary when you think that uh, I went through emer- emergency brain surgery right through the night for like 12 hours emergency brain surgery and you think that that's bad enough, the the fact that uh, they had to suction two blood clots out of my brain and to get through all of that, to live the first three hours after the operation that they didn't think I would live through and then I had a 50-50 chance of surviving the six hours after that, which I got through. You think that's enough. But the reality was that when I came out of my coma only then... Did I really understand the enormity of the situation that faced me? And it was crippling in the utter confusion of the state of my mind in, in... what I was coping with.
0: It crippling in a uh, physical sense as well because you had nerve damage and at one stage the prognosis was that you would be blind in one eye, they weren't sure if you were hearing was going to be okay. They really thought that you would have long-term brain damage. Just before I go back to exactly what
1: happened then, how are you now? Very well. Like totally fine? Well, I of course I am not perfect, but who is perfect? Um, I get... Uh, problems with my head sometimes but I uh, to me it's a very small price to pay like headaches that I have headaches, that kind yes. of stuff yeah yeah but, but that's trust the, me that's nothing compared to what I've gone through
0: and in, in the book as well you've no yes. peripheral vision in, yes. on one side which you know might might have been an issue in a race <laughs> yes <laughs> but okay so let's go back then to to you're, you're sitting there and you've survived against all the odds it seems, and the the brain surgery there's there's twelve fractures
1: in your skull yeah there's twelve fractures in my base of skull uh, which is quite extraordinary, um, which suggests that that the the structure of the skull is completely damaged, so even just to uh for the skull to hold the brain in place, there was a slim chance that this would happen and The worst of the problem was the fact that I had two blood clots. The first blood clot was sitting between the base of skull and the brain, and the second blood clot was inside the dura, sitting between the dura and the brain tissue. This was the one that caused the greatest problem because when you uh, cut through the main membrane around the brain, the the dura, uh, no surgeon wants to go there because the chances of coming out of that alive are very, very slim. But Professor John Miles was brilliant in his execution of not even thinking of the consequence. To keep me alive, he had to go straight in and suction that blood clot out. And he did it with, with such oh, brilliance in, in in not delaying uh, a second. Uh, and And this... In doing this, he thought uh, he had damaged the optic nerve and, and that doesn't like to recover and I had lots of nerve damage. There was going to be a great consequence to, to removing this blood clot, but his job was to try to keep me alive. Yeah. And that he did. And uh, and thereafter, when they uh, stitched back up the brain and put the skull back in place and... Uh, they didn't think I would live that next three hours, but fortunately I did. Did those pieces of the skull just knit back together? Is that what yes, happens? well, it, it, it actually has sunken um, a few uh, millimetres around my head. Um, for many years after, I still had stitches coming out right. in my head. When I would have a haircut, for instance, the the haircut, the comb would get stuck in the stitch. <laughs> I would have these strange questions. What is that in your head? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's odd. For for many years after, actually, there was still stitches coming out of my head.
0: And did you tell the full story?
1: Never. Never? Never. Never, ever, never, ever reflected on it, never related to it. I pretended that part of my life never happened. That was something I had to do to to get myself through what was uh, a very, very dark and dangerous part of my rehabilitation
0: yeah because you, you talk about you talk about PTSD in the book and there's a real sense that people around you are like this guy has PTSD everybody be very careful it's something really bad is going to happen and something bad seems to happen fairly regularly to you in, in that you seem to be you, you seem to lose control of your mind at various stages and that's the most important thing you have that it's the thing that has always separated you wherever you've been is the power of your own mind and your own knowledge of your own mind so that must have been terrifying.
1: Yes, that was terrifying, and uh, and and you cannot imagine that that utter state of confusion that you are going through. When it's one thing, I'm trying to repair my physical self, and just as I'm beginning to master this this part of the re- recuperation, where I'm I'm starting to repair my physical body, then my mind starts to uh, I start to lose control of my own mind. I start to to, to have no control over my own mind, I went one stage twelve days without sleeping, and I wouldn't close the curtains because I wanted to see the sunrise every day because that gave me a new sense of hope, a belief that I have gotten to another day, and that's that's the sort of thing i had to I had to become my own fool. I had to fool myself I had to promise myself that if I could do this today. I could do a little bit more tomorrow. And this sort of games I started to play with myself. And and a couple of times, it's one thing to have a nightmare when you are asleep. And I had many, uh, as Joanna relates to in in my book, that I would wake up uh, from a sleep, just jump up in the bed completely lathered in sweat, and I would never talk about it. And she says in the book, how can you assess the psychology of someone that will not talk about themselves? And this was the problem that everybody saw with me. But what nobody understood was what I was uh, going through myself. And I, and I was developing this belief in myself that nothing's bad, that can't be worse when I can still open my eyes and see the sunrise every day. I am going to get through this. This was the promise I made to myself all the time. Yeah. And that belief, I fueled that belief. Belief is a f- self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you believe, the more you give of yourself to achieving what it is you set out to achieve. In the same way, if you don't believe, you give far less of yourself. That's why you can never execute it.
0: See, I'm, I'm so conflicted r- reading the book and seeing you here now, knowing what I do know about the... the, the So when you're talking about building yourself up, you're, you're talking physically as well. There's, you go to insane levels of physical hardship in the aftermath doing stuff that you're not supposed to do you come out of the hospital 10 days after the surgery like it, it's you know it's the type of stuff that everybody goes this is only going to end horribly your friends discover you walking out there's blood on your feet because you've walked in glass and you, you can't actually you've no sensation in them and, and you're pushing yourself at the gym to the point of exhaustion you collapse multiple times on the on the heath like King Lear and I wonder like if you just had a chat with somebody at the start and, and had this kind of psych- psychological help the whole way through is there a way that you get to that end point where you are fine again in a much longer, slower period process or did you have to break yourself the way you broke yourself?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a great way that you have actually phrased that because I have got something quite specific that I would say to you in reply and it is simply this. When you are in this situation, when you are in your deepest, darkest uh, stage of, of coping with adversity, the moment that you... Uh, have a need to subcontract the solution to the problem that you have got, you have already rendered yourself useless. This is something that within us all we have the solution. So the fact that if I had said to somebody, oh, I need help, straight away that belief within me would ebb away. And if that belief within me had ever ebbed away, Trust me, I would never have got out of that cycle, ever.
0: So that was for you, that was the the only way that you could see it. Absolutely. It had to be an internal, innate solution.
1: Absolutely. Very lonely place. Of course, it's a a lonely, dark place to be. And and there's many times, many, many times, I became so aware of how thin the line was between sanity and insanity. And on many times, I realised... I was walking along it. I'd fallen to the other side of it and pull myself back. All the time, I was conscious of this very thin line between sanity and insanity. And I was trying to do a balancing act. Yeah. Not telling anybody about it. Trying to cope with the discomfort of, of, of trying to repair my body while fighting a war with my own mind. Trying to sustain balance on that line at times was the greatest challenge I could anybody could ever go through in life?
0: Yeah, because there's, there's there are hallucinations where it seems as if you kind of tilt from one side into the the other side. Completely,
1: there has been times in in my one time that is documented in my book uh, where I had this situation with Barney Curley where I had a conscious nightmare, and you cannot imagine this utter state of confusion. And I ran out of my own house and ran down this road and ran until my weakened legs were near collapse, and I hid in behind a shed in an allotment, and I cried my eyes out. Such was that complete, utter state of confusion that I was feeling, that I was losing control of my own mind. But yet, in that state of being, I had this belief that it will go away. It will go away. And that's what I mean about I was crawling through a tunnel so dark, so filled with danger, with no promise of light at the other end, other than a belief that there would be when I got there. And that is where I had to put myself to extricate myself from that situation.
0: Did you believe that any of the stuff that you'd done up to the point of the accident was the information that you were using when... You're you're telling yourself that because it, it's kind of when you're talking about fooling yourself, like you know you're you're lying to yourself, and you're 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 eventually like actually I okay I believe that now, and I've
1: I've proved that's the lie I've I made it real. You know, you become your own fool, a bit like the innocence of a kid, and and a lot of what I went through in 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 the rehabilitation that that I was going through, I related to being a kid. And that, that confidence that I that I grew up with when we would fall off a pony and nobody would ask us, are we okay? You just get back up on it and ride it again. You know, you you, you had this way of dealing with adversity and you always, uh, I was grown up, uh, brought up with, with this belief that, that if it's your problem, you deal with it. Sort it out yourself. So I was never um, felt that need to to, as I say, subcontract the solution to my problem. But the fact that I had this determination to, to to conquer this myself, it meant that I reached a point where I had to be prepared to lose everything just to gain that one something. And the consequential effect of that, I didn't really become aware of until I read my own book. Right, so you didn't know at the time that you were risking your life. I never, ever knew... Joanna's perspective of what I was going through when she was actually looking after me.
0: Again, kind of heartbreaking a little bit to, to realise that you had somebody who loved you that much at that time who you couldn't really reach out to or communicate with at a level that, you know, she's what, 22 at that stage? I mean, she must have been dying for, as she says about Barney Curley, she just wanted a bit of human kindness from him and he couldn't give that either Then that was one trip but then afterwards she has like 18 months with you effectively.
1: Yeah. Extraordinary and it's it's probably, if you imagine the process of going through what I went through to repair my physical self, to try and, and, and regain control over my own mind and then to get to that stage and realize that I don't remember a very important part of my life. And Joanna played the biggest part of that life that I didn't remember. Yeah. And she had morphed into my childhood.
0: Let's just clear this up for for people who are listening because we kind of jumped into the the middle of the story. When you woke up, the the damage to your brain had rendered you had, had given you severe amnesia for a, a large chunks of your life. Yes, absolutely. The, the moment you wake up, you feel like a 12-year-old who's the T-shirt you go yes. Jack Lynch. Yes. Uh, what were you riding? Strawberry, one of yes. your ponies. It's like you're literally a 12-year-old yes. again looking at your grown-up brothers and sisters and Joanna, yeah. thinking they're all very grown up and I'm 12. Slowly over a period of time, you get some chunks of years back.
1: Yes, I get I get a lot of years back. But the odd thing was when I got them back, they were all disorganised and 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 out of time, not place, not no 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 memory had a place in time, and, and it was like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. And suddenly, as I started to uh, repair myself, the jigsaw puzzle started to take shape. And then there's this big black hole in the middle where there's no pieces. The final
0: four years before yes. your accident, which are like the four years where exactly. you become one of the best jockeys yes. in the country, your your love affair takes on this kind of, we're going to live our lives together, Absolutely. even offering on a, yeah. on a dream house, it's like, yeah. and it's all wiped out like that. And
1: it's all gone in an instant, a fleeting snapshot in time, and it changed my life forevermore.
0: The bit about the memories coming back, I was really interested in that. It, it, one of the things you said that you couldn't remember was the feeling of what it was like to win a race, yes, and I was like well what what does the what does the brain do with memory? What is the point of these memories if we can't remember emotion so was it facts
1: and figures, was it people and faces no it it's a very curious thing because um i of course, I had a badly damaged brain and 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 is that is that the reason why I don't remember?" Is it the fact that that there's a safety mechanism within that doesn't allow me? To remember, it, 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 it's it's impossible to understand because the brain is such a complex uh, piece of of work. It it is just such a it's a mystery, a deep mystery. One that that um, surgeons had hoped to learn more about the brain following my um, recovery, things like that. But I would never talk about it. Yeah and uh but now i have spoken about it and and um and i think it it offers a fascinating insight to to what it's like to be a patient in this situation
0: yeah i think like i think it offers a fascinating insight into how the brain works because you're talking about relearning to walk and and even just the mobility of the hips and while I was reading that of course I automatically start moving you know it's the type of thing okay so that's how they're all connected it is one of those books that makes you stop and go I have to be aware of everything that's going on because this is a story that shocks you into a sudden okay right this is important <laughs> life life is continuing and people have made great sacrifices to, to make their lives work again how do you feel now that you have started to
1: talk about it? I feel the process, uh, it's been the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, sitting down to do this book because the genius of my co-author Ami Rao in in trying to make up for the years that were missing, to deconstruct my life in order to reconstruct it. It completely tore the heart out of me uh, in the process. And her also, she invested so much emotion in in the creation of this book. And when I got to the end of this book, I it, it I had a feeling it had been cathartic. I, I felt liberated. I felt a weight lift, you know, that, that I'd pretended a part of my life hadn't happened. And yet when I revisited this part, as difficult as it was, the end result, I felt proud because if that person riding those horses was me, I feel very proud to have been that person. Yeah, because it's not you, is it, though? It's a a different you. Yes, absolutely. And that's the... And this is the curious thing because I look at it in the third person and it's impossible for me to have an emotional attachment to to that kind of uh, sense of achievement, if you like.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, you were a high achiever, though, because you went to UCLA and just did the exams and got in. Yes. That doesn't really happen. Like, uh, you know, in the 90s, people didn't just fly off to... UCLA. I mean, this is the 80s. Yes. It would have been. Yeah.
1: How did that come about? 87. Well, I had, um, Barney Curley had introduced me to Charlie Whittingham, uh, who was a trainer on the West Coast of America. And and basically, I was going to fund my education riding track work on the tracks at Hollywood Park in Santa Anita. And As then, you do. like Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and I had an apartment at Homosa Beach in, in LA and I used to drive. I used to get up in the morning at 4.30 to ride track work then get back to Hermosa Beach and then drive 16 miles from Hermosa Beach to UCLA. And how many terms did you do? Uh 3. So nearly a year. Yeah. Right. So I had um I had actually uh made up my mind that that um I wasn't going to go back into writing and I was going to just stay at that at that when I met Joanna. And uh and then when I met Joanna all at the same time I got offered the best job in the in racing with Josh Gifford for a stable jockey yeah and my life has been like that your life's been nothing, ridiculous nothing planned just like,
0: but it's been you know you're quiet. you're a kid on ponies so that's why so you're not you're not any one of the people in the book maybe you're the the final person who's sitting here today and the, the kind of we don't actually know anything about your life from after this period I, I I guess and you say you're very private and maybe that's what that's not in the book but it's like you're a kid. In Limerick, leading this really idyllic lifestyle, racing ponies with a sister who might have been a slightly better jockey, and uh, <laughs> and then that's one life. And then Barney Curley gets introduced into your life, like he literally appears on TV, and then suddenly he's like shepherding you away to the UK, where you cause massive controversy. And then it's like, oh, we're just going to head off now to UCLA, of all the places in the world. And I moonlight as a rider at the same time, I'm putting myself through law school at one of the most prestigious universities in America. And then I'm also going to have one of the most famous and catastrophic accidents that's ever happened. It's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's my life. <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite a curious um, thing, and, and I, I feel very fortunate that I have been able to uh, tell this story in, in, in such a in such a proactive way, a way that, 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 that I think it will. I think this book, Centaur, asks everybody to ask a question of themselves and I think it has, the message that, it, that that this book gives is simply that we are all capable of infinitely more than we believe and I think I'm living proof of that. Did you know that
0: as a six-year-old or an eight-year-old when you were doing this?
1: <laughs> when I was a six-year-old as an eight-year-old, I saw nothing as impossible, nothing.
0: Because your ma kind of told you that? Yeah, absolutely. She was right? We just Well... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I th- I think I was grown up with this way of being that that I, I I lived to dream rather than dream to live. You know, I went out and did it. I've heard I you say that. To, yeah. Who told you that? Where did you get that? Well, I don't know. I ju- that's just how that's I- That's your philosophy. Yeah. And, and like to give you an example, I used to read the Jenny Bannister diary in the, in the Irish Independent every Thursday morning. I'm a school kid and I used to read this diary about people living in the States. And all my mother's side of the family, they had emigrated to New York when they finished school. She was born in Port Leash. And suddenly, I'm creating a life there for myself in my head. Yeah. And I'm still at school. I'm riding ponies. I'm doing everything. How do you make that sort of leap? That, again, is is, is a belief. And it's that belief that I had in me. That saw me through my darkest period, the darkest period of my life.
0: The other thing we've obviously talked about the brain as as a really important character in the book, but your relationship with horses, like to call you a jockey, isn't is you know it, it feels reductive. Like you're a horseman, yes, and and, uh, and uh, uh, do you ride now?
1: That was no, my daughter uh, rides. She loves it, and and when she's a bit more. Uh, Advanced, I might go riding with her, but I wouldn't go riding for any other reason.
0: Right, but you wouldn't. You're not averse to it now.
1: No, no, no. Not at all. I just have no interest in yeah. in it.
0: Because the the book finishes with you winning a, a comeback race um, a year after you walk again for the first time, but eighteen months after the yes. accident. But like the the race in a, in itself is important in terms of it. It's a staging post for you in, in terms of the, you know it's a, a really clear indication of your recovery. But there's a chapter, uh, there's a, a section in the book where you actually start to. Ride again. You've been sitting on the horse, um, just kind of feeling what that's like. And it's kind of very understated. But I wondered if you were actually hooping and hollering, going, I'm riding a horse.
1: This no, is amazing. It's amazing. It's an incredible thing because it's very well picked up by you. It's this chapter in the book called Heartbeat. And it has huge significance in my recovery or my ability to recover my ability to recognize that I needed to recover. And I started to, when I first sat on a horse after my accident, I just sat on it. I just feel it, to to feel its muscle, to feel its breathing, to just to feel this horse. And I did did this on many occasions, just sat on a horse. And the first time I sat on a horse for a gallop, at this point of my rehabilitation, I had a three-way war going on within me my body was waging war with my mind my mind was waging war with my spirit I I had this three-way tussle trying to fight but the thing that I found most difficult to control was my mind and when I sat on a horse that first time when I rode a gallop on a horse with the rhythm of his stride pattern with the rhythm of his beat this hind leg hind leg fore leg fore leg when I was in, 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 this, in this movement, it absorbed my mind. And when I got off that horse that first time after riding a gallop, after my first uh, experience in recuperation, I walked along by next to that horse and I had this state of calm. The noise in my head had quietened enough for me to hear his hoofbeat and my own heartbeat. I hadn't heard my own heartbeat since I came out of a coma. Pretty magical moment. An incredible moment because it was the moment when I accepted to myself that I forgive myself for not remembering and I wasn't going to uh, pretend that I could and I was just going to leave it there. It was that moment that that I accepted to myself that there's changes in my life and I accept those changes.
0: And those changes were not chasing ghosts of of Absolutely. trying to become the same person because that's the other part of this. When when th- those four years, those adult years, that was your identity. You were you know a, a celebrity jockey at that point, being booked by the top trainers to try and win the biggest races for the biggest, and most famous owners. And you're looking at those pictures when you go home on the walls, saying, "Is this me? Like how?"
1: Of course, you know you're, you're you're wrestling with your own identity, and 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 you're trying to become that person that other people expect you to be. And I'm really fighting this thing of people referring to me in the past tense, and all I wanted to see, all I want to be, is to be seen as a, in present tense. I want to be seen as a person that is here right now, and that was the hardest thing for me to achieve, and that was the sole reason why I got back on a horse to ride in a race and when I rode that race I found that person that everybody could relate to. I felt I had placed my flag on the mountain and I felt at that moment I could walk away.
0: And be be someone totally different. Absolutely. Who you actually wanted to be at that point. Yes, absolutely. I
1: never wanted to be a jockey in the first place. Well, that was the thing. So I had a unique opportunity to go back to being the kid that I once was. And, and uh, so in many ways, I consider myself very fortunate.
0: Yeah, you got a, a second act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like no one gets second act or a third act in your case, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the first part was like a dress rehearsal. And, you so know, who it's, are you? It's, fu- it's fueled me um, uh, tremendously well for the second part of my life. Who are you? I'm a quiet man that lives a simple life out in Barcelona. Right. with a wonderful family. And that's it. That's it.
0: Because it is unbelievably dramatic and cinematic and then it stops.
1: (laughs) Yes, I I had to reinvent myself. I I had to um, find my feet again. Did you become a lawyer? uh, No, I didn't become a lawyer, but I I have acted in in many roles in, in... I've invested very wisely.
0: That was your dream. That was a kid. Yes, You're like yeah, you you
1: yeah. wanted to go and yeah. practice and be a lawyer. I'm actually now very pleased I'm not because one of my best friends, Andrew, is a lawyer and I wouldn't give you a dollar for his life. <laughs> so I feel very fortunate that I have... Um, Ended up with the life that I have.
0: So you left, you left the racing world behind. There was no... Absolutely. You didn't want to be a trainer. No, I had to... no
1: interest in being a trainer and, and, and I don't bet horses. I've never had a bet in my life. So I'm not interested in horse racing from a betting perspective. It's purely m- a spectacle to me. Do you miss the horses though? I miss the horses because I love horses and, and, and that is the thing. But I've had to, I've had to implement this discipline in my life to remove me from them. It's it's like it's like a love affair that that you you make this conscious decision to remove yourself from it because it's it could be the cause of your destruction.
0: Too dangerous. Yes, absolutely. As you'd like to get up on one and race exactly, again.
1: Completely. And that's the beautiful thing about this book. It's 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 that that story that comes through that 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 it's a story of love, it's a story of loss. It's 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 ultimately it's a story of hope because so much of what you have you have to be prepared to lose just to get that one thing that's most important to you. That's
0: the Bukowski quote at the start. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so dangerous. <laughs> it's so dangerous to risk everything for like
1: Yes, but when you when you are when you are thrust into the situation that I was thrust into, uh, you have two decisions. One solution. You have to choose between the world and yourself. I choose myself because if I had put myself in the, into the hands of anybody else, I would never, ever have recovered from what I was going through.
0: That's obviously very difficult for for um, the relationships that you have at the time. Is your relationship with your family all normal enough after that period of time or does it take a while for that to... All op- well, the
1: curious thing is I've never, ever spoke to anybody about my memory loss and I never referred to... My life as a jockey, or my accident, and my family have had to suffer this uh, silence, if you like, um, and in 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 a in maybe in a state of confusion as to he's got no interest in horses anymore, he's got no interest in and and and, and they would they would uh, be worried, I guess. Of course, um, but there was nothing to worry about. I was still very present, just a different person. Have
0: you, so they've read the book? They, they, you've spoken to them, look, about that whole thing. This is what was going on and I couldn't really express it at the time.
1: My brother Michael, who left school at 15, my sister said he'd never read a book when he was at school and he certainly hasn't read a book since he left school. He picked up this book when he saw it in book-proof form and he couldn't put it down. It's that type of book. It engages you and... and uh, what was his response though? Well, he's response, he loved the whole thing about our childhood and, and, and he remembered that and and, uh, and he thought it was the bravest thing that anybody could ever do Well, it's a document very, this book.
0: It's quite an Irish thing to do, isn't it? Like, yes. look, he had an accident, let's not talk about the life beforehand because <laughs> yes. he might feel bad about what he's lost out on when actually maybe the right thing to do for everybody was like, listen, let's just sit down and have a good chat about this and you go, listen, I can't remember anything and at that point you know i don't know maybe that helps but who knows yes there's
1: a simplicity in in the way in the way that you actually sum it up and and because it is very simple it is very simple that that you either carry this trauma with you or or you pretend it never happened and and in my case i pretended it never happened i could not risk placing uh that part of my life into the hands of somebody else and they orchestrate how I played out the second part of my life.
0: And were you still friends with Joanna's family afterwards? Because it sounds yes. like her, yeah, her granddad was your best mate yes, for ages. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And,
1: and he was my best friend up to the time he died. And and uh, he was a man that that I marvelled at. I, I loved his use of the English language. I, I just loved listening to him speak. I, I I have a great fascination of of people and and in how brilliant people can be. And and uh, that is something that I that I probably value more as a consequence of what I went through. Uh, so I feel very enriched by my experience.
0: Is there a point in your retirement maybe where you'd be able to keep horses again that won't be too dangerous for you to be around them, <laughs> too addictive?
1: Maybe when my daughter gets older and she wants to have a horse and ride, maybe I will uh, get a little bit more involved. But that's not something that I would choose to do of my own bad
0: and if it turns out she's a sensational jockey well you'd be like listen you're you're going to law school in UCLA here no more jockeys in this house <laughs> I
1: don't think her mother would allow that <laughs> to pop
0: <laughs> well it's an unbelievable story uh, Declan I wish you the very best with the book and, uh, and with the rest of your life which is you know you. acts 3, 4 and 5
1: <laughs> thank you very much
0: OTB Gold. that was an OTB podcast network presentation